Well, this morning we are joining churches across our nation that have set aside this Sunday to honor the sanctity of life and remember the loss of life caused by abortion. It was this week, 49 years ago, that the Supreme Court, in the case of Roe v. Wade, struck down many U.S. federal and state laws protecting the life of the unborn and essentially made abortions out of convenience legal. It should grieve us and make us turn to God and humbly cry out to Him for mercy. So if you'll join me now in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, the giver of life, we humbly come to you now as we grieve the loss of some 60 million babies. We know that it is your work that knit us together in our mother's womb, and we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. You have made us in your likeness. You created us to be in relationship to you, to find joy and delight as we image you, Yet our ultimate parents chose to question your good intentions and choose independence. That sin now runs through every one of us and is the root evil that leads to demand our rights and autonomy without thought of you. So, Father, we turn to you now, and we can only do so because of Christ. If you didn't make a way, there would be no way. Jesus manifested love through his precious atoning blood, covered our sin, and made a way for us to be restored. It is now by grace through faith where we approach you and ask that you remake us and fill us with all the fullness of Christ. Help us this hour to see your heart and to heal us from our sin. Give us your eyes to see the bondage to self and set us free by your truth. And we pray all this in the finished work of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you'll turn in your Bibles now to Mark chapter 10. On this day where we remember the loss of unborn children, I would like to return our attention to Jesus and how he received children. In the providence of God, Blair took us to this teaching last week from Matthew chapter 18. And he unpacked for us what it means to have a childlike faith. And what I'd like to do for this morning is to contrast Jesus' receptive, loving heart to the disciples' impatient disgust over the interruption to their agenda. Understanding this difference, I believe, will help us see the root evil that lies within every one of us and ultimately is behind what drives the pro-choice movement. I think we'll see why they and we need Jesus and what children can teach us about how we are to receive him. So as you come to this chapter in Mark 10, Jesus has been leading his disciples that he is called to follow him. As they are following Jesus, he is constantly teaching them, modeling for them. They have a front row seat to see him heal the lame, raise the dead, Feed 5,000, walk on the water, challenge the religious leaders' hypocrisy, cast out demons. He even transfigures before Peter, James, and John, and he shows them his glory. And as he does all this, he continues to cast his vision of why he came. He sets out his kingdom agenda. 
And in chapter 9, we are told that Jesus foretells his death and resurrection a second time as he is walking, saying to his disciples, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But the text says they did not understand this saying, and they were afraid to ask him. He had been teaching them that he was sent to die. And all they could think about was who was going to be the greatest in their concept of the kingdom. Can you believe these guys? I can. I can see that on, on my, in my heart. In Mark chapter 9, they come to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, it says, he asked them, what were you guys discussing along the way? Able to know what was in their hearts, he asked them this question. And none of them wanted to be able to speak up because they knew that they were discussing who was the greatest and who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. He sat down with the 12 and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. And think about this teaching right here. What is this master physician diagnosing as he is asking this question, as he does so well? What is he sensing in the heart of the disciples that needs adjustment? And I believe at this moment, you're seeing with the Holy Spirit, I believe you can see what he's diagnosing is a root evil of pride. I, me, my mind. It's in them, and he wants to be able to expose that and to be able to show it that. Verse 36, it says that he took a child and he put he took him to his midst, and taking him in his arms, he said, in verse 37, whoever receives one, ch one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And Jesus is leading the disciples day by day, over and over, manifesting love and humility against the backdrop of the disciples' heart of pride. Jesus had an agenda. And he cast his vision of it using the image of the kingdom. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God is like, he would say. In his kingdom, the Father is ruler, and we are his loyal subjects under his rule. The problem is the disciples had a kingdom in mind as too, and Jesus is not acting like they think he should. He was on mission, but it wasn't consistent with what they were expecting. They were following because they thought he could provide them with what they wanted. It's in that context that as Jesus is on the move, he comes to Judea, and the crowds are gathering in chapter 10, and he is questioned by the Pharisees about divorce. And Jesus does a masterful job responding to them, and he quotes Genesis about the purpose of marriage, and he exposes the reason for divorce as the hardness of heart. The disciples are intrigued with his teaching and probably delighted because he put the Pharisees in their place with his response. And the text says they went into the house and they asked him to tell them more. And then right in the middle of Jesus' teaching, they are interrupted with a bunch of kids. You ever been there? Right in the middle of an intriguing conversation and your kids barge in on you and want your attention. Now imagine if you're having a conversation with Jesus and that happens. Look at verse 13. 
for our text as we begin here today. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. In these verses, we are given a window into the heart of the disciples in a mirror of what is often in our own hearts. Imagine, if you will, put yourself in the disciples' sandals, and these children are interrupting your time with Jesus. So they reflexively uh, rebuke. So you ask, what is in the heart of one that does that? And that's the question I've been asking this week. And we're not told exactly what the disciples' heart motivation is, but Jesus says, do not hinder them. And it says that that spirit of the disciples made Jesus indignant. Indignant, I had to look it up. It's this feeling characterized by or expressing strong displeasure at something considered unjust, offensive, insulting, or base. And I think that we could say that Jesus was indignant at about the disciples' indignation. Why such a feeling? Well, remember, this is right on the heels of Jesus just telling them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Their rebuke revealed an unreceptive heart that was resistant to the will of the Father. And Jesus uses this incident as another teaching moment to diagnose the root evil that was in their hearts. He says, let them come. Let them come. They are not interrupting my agenda. They are my agenda. The disciples were, had exhibited this attitude before. Remember the, right before the feeding of the 5,000, and they were wanting to send the crowds away to go get their own groceries. And Jesus looks at them and says, no, let them come. You feed them. And then there was the faith of the Canaanite woman pleading with Jesus to come heal her daughter that was oppressed by a demon. And the disciples begged Jesus to send her away. She's causing a commotion. She's interrupting. But Jesus doesn't do that. He has a conversation with her about his mission to save the lost sheep of Israel. And she pleads with him, I am lost, and I'm willing for table scraps. She is coming in total abandonment. No pride, utter dependence. And what does Jesus do? He commends her for her faith. He says, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter, it says, was healed instantly. Jesus says to his disciples as the children are being brought in faith, let them come. Let them come, for such belongs to the kingdom. The kingdom comes to those who come to me for me. I can imagine as Jesus is welcoming and hugging these little ones, just exuding love, just comes out of his pores. And as he's doing that, he looks up and he catches the eyes 
of his disciples. And he says, truly I say to you guys, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And his look just goes right into their soul. Jesus goes right back to the point that he had previously made. The very point that Pastor Blair covered in his sermon last week from Matthew 18. And it's this passage that we're looking at today that Jesus uses this interruption of children to make the same point. Our faith is to be childlike. They are coming to me for me. He takes them in his arms and he blesses them. As Pastor Blair was preaching last week, talking about this childlike faith that rests in the arms of the Father, there was an image that came to my mind uh, two weeks ago when we were preparing for the reception back for Cole and Ellie. We had an incredible time. The family came together during that week, and there was a lot of you that came together that week. And there was a lot of activity as we were preparing for a rehearsal dinner and then a reception. There was people moving all, everywhere. There was tables being set up. There was tablecloths being ironed. There was flowers being on the table. And in the midst of all of that activity and commotion, there was Kaz back there with his little baby boy, R.G. In the midst of that commotion, all that activity, R.G. was not worried about a thing. He had just had his head on Kaz's chest. And in the midst of that, as Pastor Blair was preaching, I was thinking about that image of R.G. leaning against the breast of his father, not worried about a thing. And I thought, oh, that's childlike faith. Utter dependence, got my ear to the heart of my father, and all things that are going on, they're no issue. I'm complete rest. Coming to the end of yourself and resting in his lordship is the beginning of true life. You hear me? Let me say it again. Coming to the end of yourself and resting in his lordship is the beginning of true life. Some of us are not at peace in our world right now because we're not resting in his lordship. And I don't know about you, but I could definitely hear the Holy Spirit speaking to me this week, telling me, return to your childlike dependence and love for me. Be still and to know that I am God. Brothers and sisters, we need to hear that word. In the midst of our world right now, we need to be still, and we need to know that he is God. Humility is the remedy for our root evil that wants what it wants when it wants it. And that remedy is wrapped in flesh, in the person of Jesus. That's why we need him. That's why you and I need Jesus. You can't come to the Father from any other way. This is the way into the kingdom. This is the way of the kingdom. This is the way of life, of joy, of freedom, and peace. The kingdom of self says me above all. My agenda is Lord. It produces a defensive spirit that says no 
don't interrupt me. It shuns true life. And it is the spirit that says no to life. It's the spirit that says this pregnancy is not in our plans. This layoff, this sickness, this time of waiting is not in my plans. This is the attitude behind most of those in the pro-choice movement, and it's the greatest reason for abortion. It's about a disdain for inconvenience. We protect what we value most. If you value life, your plans, your goals, and your happiness most, then by definition, anything that interrupts any of those things must be prevented. They value their life free from restriction. But ultimately, it leads to a life of bondage. Think about it. That is our story, isn't it? Our first parents wanting life apart from the creator that gave it to them. Their choice led to death, separation from the gracious giver of life. That choice introduced sin into our lives, and it spread to every one of us. Now, every one of us is born in sin. That nature to question God's good intentions, even to question why God would allow the miracle of birth to be given at an inopportune time. That spirit now now questions God's intentions, ends true life, and leads to a world under the kingdom of self. And that spirit is in every one of our hearts. If we want to truly end abortion, we must end it at the seeds of that in our own hearts as well. And that's why God sent Jesus. That's why we need Jesus. When you see the kingdom of self grasping for control, impatient, demanding, that's when we need to stop and we need to look for Jesus. He is the answer to the inconveniences of life. It's typically in those interruptions that he wants to get your attention. He is the one that was ultimately, infinitely inconvenienced for our sake. The scripture says, although he was in the form of God, he did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because he opened his arms in surrender to the Father's will, he was able to carry all of our sins to the cross. That's where the Father canceled the record debt of sin that stood against us with its legal demands. Nailing it through the hands of Jesus to pay for our sins. Pay for our sins in full. He died the death we deserved and paid the penalty we could never pay. He then rose, conquering sin and death and setting the captives free. He is still the Savior with open arms, inviting us to come to him in childlike faith, to repent, to turn to him, and to rescue us from that kingdom of self and transfer us into the kingdom of heaven. Through Christ, now we can return to the life that he created us to experience. Aren't you glad that your father is pro-life? So what do we do? What's our application? This week, as I thought through this passage of Scripture, 
and I looked at some of the inconveniences of my own life. I returned to who he was. In this image that Pastor Blair took us to last week of Jesus welcoming these children, and I worshiped. I worshiped. And it brought peace to my soul. That peace, that worship is meant for us every day, not just on Sundays. Every day we return our attention unto him to recognize that he is Lord, to rest in the arms of our Father for him to remind us of his incredible love. And when you are still long enough, you can hear his heartbeat, and you can know that he is in control and all the things that I'm worried about and stressed about just become shadows because you know he's got this. And church, we need to hear that. He's got this. He's got us. He is in control. And once you get to that place of rest and at peace, after a while what happens is that you begin to change. And the love of Christ will compel you to be able to go and tell. Be able to be his pro-kingdom life agenda, representative, his ambassador, to advance that agenda and to go out where human flourishing isn't happening and move toward it. And confidence and empower, even if it inconveniences us, it's a famous quote by Martin Luther King, one whom we honor this weekend. And he says, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about the things that matter. Things that matter to God are our responsibility. We take those things that matter to him and we accept that mandate to be able to carry that message to others that need to hear it. We're not to hoard this message of the gospel. We're to be able to declare it, to be able to herald it to those that are still in bondage. I pray that you would be reinvigorated in the call of God upon your life to be able to share this message of life. One such group that is faithfully fulfilling that call is the Huntsville Pregnancy Resource Center. It's a ministry that we support as a church, and it's up to us to be lifting them up in prayer. Giselle volunteers here on a regular basis, and she shared some of these things that they do on a regular basis for those that are clients. But those that come in in troubled pregnancies, where they find that they're at a place in life where they never thought they would be, they come in to this center and they meet a counselor that provides information, provides counseling from a loving support system in a non-judgmental way, encouraging these individuals to learn all the facts about life. The gospel is shared, and as the only anchor, anchor for this life and for the next, an ultrasound is offered and given by a registered nurse or a nurse practitioner. They have classes for women there on all stages of pregnancy, from labor, delivery, postpartum, depression. They are encouraged as they come in 
to understand who God is. A devotional is given to them. The gospel is repeatedly shared. There's classes in Spanish. There's classes for men to understand what it means to be a father. There is material assistance in the form of diapers and formula. There's help to understand how they can choose adoption. It is an opportunity for the light of the gospel to shine in our community. And through this work and through this ministry, they are seeing life's change for the glory of God. And I want to encourage us as an application for this text today, for us to begin praying for that ministry. Maybe even go make a visit. This past year, between January and October, uh, this, the center had the opportunity to be able to give 1,006 ultrasounds. They had 549 mothers attend their classes. There was 119 dads that attended these classes. There was about 10 that received post-abortive support in the class. The gospel was shared 1,433 times. There were 22 individuals that prayed to receive Christ, and another 16 that rededicated their life to Christ. There was 3,278 appointments made during those months. And of the abortion vulnerable clients, 90 women decided to have their babies or to give them up for adoption. Praise the Lord. That is a ministry that's shining the light of Christ. That's just an example for us to be able to shine the light of Christ in the sphere in which you live. Every one of us have the opportunity to be able to shine that light of Christ. And it usually comes at one of those inconvenient times. But church, I want to encourage you. Look for those interruptions. Remember the posture of Jesus. Remember his desire for us to run to him with childlike faith. In Christ, we find the perfect pro-life attitude and advocate. Because in Christ, we see the indignation against anyone who sees another person made in God's image as a burden and not a blessing. And there's a heart in him to embrace people, no matter the age or stage of life. He willingly, willingly died in love for the least of these. And he sends his spirit to empower that kind of brokenhearted compassion and sacrificial love, sacrificial love in all of us. And I pray that God would continue to give us that spirit. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the gift of life. We thank you, Father, that you are a good Father. And you have come to be able to set us free from the bondage of self, the bondage of self-centeredness, the bondage that seeks its own agenda over yours. As we look at this passage, we see the spirit of the disciples rebuking those that are wanting to come to you. And Lord, we confess that spirit can be in our own hearts to push away, to be inconvenienced, to want my will in a given situation. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts with who you are, that you, Jesus, and your spirit would take over, that you would fill us with all the fullness of Christ. And Lord, that we would embrace who you've made us to be in this world. There's such fulfillment and such joy in knowing that you got us, 
you reminding us that you are Lord of all. I pray today, Lord, that you reinvigorate our love for you, knowing that, Father, we have a good God that loves us and wants what's best for us. May we come to you in childlike abandonment. Run into your arms. May we follow your lead this day as we're reminded of these, this truth. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.